welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Ian Lance, co-manager of the Temple Bar Investment Trust, with whom I previously spoke in March 2021. Ian joined Redwill, the appointed portfolio manager of Temple Bar, in August 2010 and, alongside co-manager Nick Purvis, manages over £3 billion of client assets, including the TMRWC Equity Income Fund. Ian has been working with Nick since 2007, initially at Schroders and then at RWC. Prior to joining Schroders, Ian was Head of European Equities and Director of Research at Citigroup and Head of Global Research at Gartmore. Ian Lance and Nick Purvis took over managing Temple Bar Investment Trust in November 2020. Now, when we spoke last March, you made the point that Temple Bar stood out because of its value style, which had been completely out of favour. Presumably, your trust has therefore performed quite well since then. Yeah, yeah, not badly. I, I think, you know, most of your listeners will know that the first half of this year was a pretty torrid time, actually, for investors. When we were looking at things like, you know, e- e- even defensive areas like the bond market, US bond market down 13%, the US equity market down 20 uh, NASDAQ down 30 Bitcoin down 60 So it was a pretty ugly six months. Um, and against that, backgrounds um the uk equity market was actually much better it was it was down but only down four uh and the temple bar share price was actually up only a little bit up, up point two but you know compared compared to some of those other horror stories um yeah not 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 bad at all and i, and I suppose if i just give you a little bit of color what you know what what, what went well what didn't go well what, what what's gone well i suppose is it continues to be things like energy companies mining companies financials those, those have all done well and it's um, actually in the first half, it was sort of more cyclically orientated companies that were that, that, that suffered. But, you know, but, but overall, when you add it all up, not, not a bad result. Um, in particular, you had little or no exposure to tech stocks and preferred, though, energy, material or financial sectors that you mentioned. Of course, energy and material stocks have seen the benefit of the rallies in commodity prices this year. Do you think the recent rally in value, value stocks as a whole will continue? I, I, I'm almost bound to say yes, aren't I? Because I'm a value manager, and all, all value managers always love their own style. But so, so, so let me try and justify why why I think that the value rally will continue. Um, the, the first reason would be that the, we've we've looked at the average length of, of sort of pro value rallies, and on on average, they've lasted about five years. And, and you could argue that maybe we are 18 months into this one. And and you know, if anything, I would I would argue that the start point of this one was more extremes for, for, than some of those others. So, you know, but based on history, yes, we would think it would c- carry on. Um, the, the second point that I would note is, I, th- I think last time we spoke about the fact that the the valuation gap between value stocks and growth stocks was, you know, pretty much as wide as it had ever been. And that started to correct, Richard, but, but, but it's only just started. And, and there is still a very wide spread between value stocks and growth stocks. So that's the second point. And the third point is, I think the macro environment we're in, i.e. one with uh, inflation going up, everyone will know about that, and interest rates starting to rise, is one that traditionally suits the, the value type sector, so specifically things like energy companies, mining companies, financial. So that, that that's kind of three reasons why I, I think the value rally will continue. You also pointed out uh, when we spoke that the COVID-19 vaccine announcement, which was uh, seemed a long time ago, November 2020, sparked a rotation from growth into value. Do you think maybe growth stocks have been oversold in the face of rising interest rates? 
no, I don't actually. I actually think if anything, just recently they've been overbought. Um, so what what we've seen in the last about the last month or so is we we had some slightly more dovish comments out of well, we had some comments out of the Federal Reserve which the market took dovishly. I don't know if they were or not. And what that prompted was a bit of a sort of rebound in um, what you might describe as the junkier end of growth. So. These figures are incredible. This is just last week, Richard. Um, Coinbase was up 46%, Lyft was up 43%, and Uber was up 36%. And that that was all in one week. Um, And so so it feels to me like what we're seeing is a sort of bear market rally in the the junkier end of growth. Um, I think the, the second thing that I would point out is that although the valuations had started to come down on those things, and I, I still don't think they've come down anywhere near enough, I don't think people are really focusing enough on the fact that the fundamentals have started to deteriorate for some of those big technology companies. So again, let me let me just give you some examples. The all, all the big all the big uh, US tech companies have reported in the last week or so, and it is extraordinary the, the degree to which the um, growth rates are slowing down for those companies. So the, these are the these are the um, the year on year EPS growth rates that they these companies have just reported in the last quarter. So Microsoft was plus three. Alphabet minus one, Apple minus eight, Meta minus 32, and Amazon minus 86. So EPS versus 12, 12 months ago. And, and of course, you know, what, what you, you've got to remember that during that big, um, I suppose, tech bull market, lots of companies, you know, came into being and they, they produced their own demand for other companies. That is now going into reverse. And so, so it's not just a case of the valuations are coming down. I think, I think the fundamentals are starting to deteriorate as well for, for a lot of those companies. Now, obviously, last time we spoke about a couple of uh, specific holdings you had within the investment trust. And one of those, in fact, your top holding last year was Royal Mail, which, of course, has had a, a fairly torrid time. Um, are, you, are you still a believer in the company's prospects? Yes, we are. We are. Um, I, I always think when it's important to, um, so I suppose to, to start with, you're absolutely right. It has had a, it's had a torrid time. It was, you know, peaked at uh, over six pounds. Share price today is two sixty two. So obviously, it's come down a long way uh, from there. Um, it's always important when you're talking about raw mail to sort of recognise that there are two businesses within it. I think a lot of people they only concentrate on the bit that they know, the, uh, the UK, you know, letters and. And parcels, but actually, it's got it's got a big European business called GLS, which only does parcels, and then and that business is going very well. I mean, I mean things have slowed, you know, as uh, as parcel volumes have normalised um, as we came out of lockdown, lockdown, but it's still going very well. And then you've got the UK business, and what's going on with the UK business really is the fact, you know, number one, a bit like the other, bit like GLS, parcels volumes normalised as we came out of lockdown. You know, we. we We've all returned home. We're no longer ordering things online as much as, as we were. But the second thing is that the um, wages are about fifty percent of their costs, and it's very important for the company that the the workforce, I suppose, um, changes their working practice. The, the, the industry is moving from letters to parcels, and that requires more flexibility uh, from the workforce. And and that is what it, management is sort of trying to push through at the moment. And, and I'm sure many people will know that. Uh, like, like like in lots of other industries, that's been met with union resistance. In fact, um, t- today they have the unions have just announced they're going to go on strike. The post postman going on strike for four days at the end of August. And the net of that is that the the UK business is losing a million pounds a day. And uh, you know you don't need to be Milton Friedman to know that um, a business losing a million pounds a day, you can't put through a massive pay increase with no productivity improvements at all. 
So that what the management have done is that they've said um, we're no longer willing to let that European business cross subsidise the UK business. And if the unions basically don't um, start to be a, a little bit more pragmatic, what we're going to do is we're going to separate the two businesses. And this is really important because that that, that European business that I spoke about, it, it, it makes about 350 million sterling uh, at the moment. So you, you, could, you could, I mean, let's put that on 10 times. So that would be worth about uh, 3.5 billion, which, which roughly speaking is about £3.50 per share. So just to remind you, the share price of the whole group, including that European bit, is 260. And we're saying that the European business, you know, being actually not not particularly aggressive, is worth something like 350. So if the management team go ahead and do that, and I I have every reason to believe that they're going to, you end up with one piece of paper worth £3.50. And then you end up with a UK bit, bit of paper. And that UK bit of paper, you know, it has some option value because if... You know, if they ever did improve the productivity of it, we we think that it could be a very profitable business. If you, if you, if they made the sorts of margins that other um, other logistics business make, which is about six percent, um, that UK business would make uh, six hundred million pounds. So, um, you know, I, I think you know, obviously it's tricky at the moment, but but it kind of feels like we've we we've reached a, a bit of a tipping point, um, and and so, and so you know, no, we, we, you know, we're, we're still very very positive about the investment. Another stock you held was uh, BP. Um, obviously, we've seen from a couple of the oil majors these multi-billion dollar write-downs. Has the situation between Russia and the Ukraine changed your view at all on, on BP? Um, I, suppose, I suppose there are two things to think about. One is that they had to write down the value of their investments, as, as, as you say. Um, but then on the flip side, um, I suppose just remind listeners of why we were invested in the energy companies in the first place. Um we think the fundamentals for the industry are very strong, and the reason for that is that we think that there's been there's basically been about ten years of underinvestment. I, this is the sort of thing that um, you know I'd, I'd like to see the, uh, the the potential leaders of the Tory party discussing in some of their debates, um, because this is the only way you're going to fix the the energy crisis. You, you, we've got to invest more. Um, a figure that we will often use is. 2013 upstream investment by the largest uh, 40 energy companies was 600 billion a year and today it's 250 billion a year and you just can't cut investment by that amount and expect to be able to produce the same amount of energy uh, as you know as you were and that that was why we've got so much tightness in the market that's why um prices were high even before the ukrainian situation and of course the ukrainian situation just made that worse and at the moment, we're not—we're actually not seeing any signs at all of any anyone politically trying to do anything about that situation. So we're not seeing, you know, uh, the UK government say, right, we've got to start reinvesting in the North Sea. We've got to look at fracking or or anything like that. And therefore, it, it's kind of hard to see um, energy prices coming down in the short term. And these things are—they are throwing uh, today's oil prices. They are throwing off gargantuan amounts of cash. Um, you know, we, we one of the measures we look at is called free cash flow yield. So it's the yield that these companies generate, the, the free cash flow they generate divided by the market cap. Today's share prices, they're on free cash flow yields of about 20%, which is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, uh, and, and by the way, this is after all the investment they've done, including all the investment in renewables. Um, so, and, and, and because, because at the moment they are not, 
ramping up their investment in you know the North Sea, etc. What they're doing with that money is they are they're, they're paying it back to shareholders. And I know, I know some people might find that unpalatable, but um, you know that 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 is what they're doing at the moment. So you're getting thumping great big dividend yields, share buybacks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, um, at a time that when the shares look cheap and the fundamentals look strong. So we, you know we're still very very positive on the energy companies. It's the biggest uh, it's the biggest sector exposure of the of the trust. Do you still think that the UK is a compelling investment destination on valuation grounds? I mean, clearly, the average dividend yield, for example, is high by global standards. Um, But the FTSE 100 has held up relatively well this year compared uh, to some of those other markets, as we discussed, um, helped along, obviously, by the energy and mining stocks, but also perhaps with the smattering uh, of defensive and, and cyclicals in there, possibly? No, no, you're you're absolutely right, um, and and actually we we put a we put a note up on the on the Temple Bar website recently called it was called Annus Horribilis for investors, and we sort of went, we went through the points where why we think that, that the the UK is a very attractive place to think about investing at the moment, and the first one is valuation. It's you know the the everyone will know that the UK has sort of underperformed, for instance, the US market for five years or, or whatever, but of course the the outcome of that is that it's ended up a lot, lot cheaper. So to put some numbers on that, the UK today trades at about a 40% discount to, to world stock markets. The long run average would be about 17% discount. So much, much cheaper than it historically has been. You've already mentioned the fact that the uh, the yield on the market is about 4%. That would compare with about 1.5% um, for the US market. And I do think, you know, I do think we, we've lived in this environment, haven't we, in which People almost got used to stock markets going up twenty percent a year, and in that environment, you know, who on earth needs dividends? Um, well, well, maybe if we're not in that environment anymore, then maybe you know, maybe dividends become important once again for people, and and the UK is a is a good place to start because because of that that high dividend yield. Um, the the next point is that it's got a large weighting to the sectors which historically tend to do well in an inflationary environment, and one in which interest rates are rising. So that would be sectors like energy, mining, you know, financials. Those were sectors, funnily enough, which held it back in the last few years because it was kind of tech that was driving world stock markets and and, and growth companies. Well, you know, I, th- I think as we discussed before, I think there's been a regime change now. And actually, I think the UK has got high exposure to to the sectors you want to be in. And and the final one that I'll, I'll say, Richard, is is that you know Nick, Nick and I have been running money for thirty years. We 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 have just never seen the the sorts of valuations that we are seeing at the moment. Um, so you know, let me give you sort of three quick examples. Shell today is on a price earnings ratio of four times and a dividend yield of four and a half. BP price earnings ratio of four, dividend yield of five. Anglo American price earnings ratio of four and a half. Dividend yield of nine, eight point eight percent, and I, I I could go on and on and on. So you know, so I, we 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 think these uh, we think these valuations are just sort of eye watering in a in, in a world in which there are lots of pretty expensive um, assets around. Absolutely fascinating, and uh, unfortunately, that's uh, that's all we've got time for. So many thanks again for your time and for for those really valuable insights. Uh, that's Ian Lance, co-manager of the Temple Bar investment trust and thank you for listening please feel free to like and subscribe and of course you can find much more by the way of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk i'll be back soon with another richard hunter interview bye for now